So, how's everybody doing all right? Survived the holiday? Yes? All right. So we are looking at Micah chapter 4, which rolls off of chapter 3, which was uh, maybe one of the craziest chapters in the whole, new t- the whole Bible. Um, so we are in, am I moving that? I don't think so. All right, so Micah chapter 4, and we're going to do Israel from Genesis to Revelation, or you can call it God don't make promises he don't keep. Because we're rolling off of chapter 3, and chapter 3 rolls off of chapter 2, which comes off of chapter 1. This is kind of a wild book. It's uh, Micah's prophesying about 700 B.C., and he's telling Israel. Now, keep in mind that the land is divided. There's been a civil war, and in the north it's called Israel, and in the south it's called Judah. The capital of Israel is Samaria. The capital of Judah is Jerusalem. And he's prophesying to both of those. And he's telling them that judgment is coming. Judgment is coming, that they can't keep sinning. They can't keep living in idolatry. They can't keep turning their back on God. And while they're divided, they're weaker, right? Because their military strength is cut in half. And their economic strength is cut in half. So the nation's getting weaker, and what the prophets are telling them is that while the nation is getting weaker, our enemies around us are getting stronger. Assyria is getting stronger militarily, economically. Babylon is getting stronger militarily and and economically. And so he's telling them that judgment is coming. And last week, in fact, keep Keith joked about it because he said, I think that they assigned this to me because what do you say about chapter three? That was the one where it says, I'll chew you up and spit you out and tear the, the skin off of your body. And you, wow, you know, what do you do with that? But he did a great job with that. So that rolls us into chapter four, which it doesn't really make sense what happens here. After those three chapters of judgment, and judgment from what? It started from the land barons that were taking advantage of all of the people, uh, stealing their land, stealing everything that, that belonged to them. And then it said that the courts were behind them, and that the prophets were behind them, and the priests were behind them, and now all of the leaders are behind them, helping them oppress all the people. And God's like, I've had it with the oppression. I've had it with the injustice. You're going to be judged. And then it brings us to chapter 4 that says this, in the last days. Well, what are the last days? The, the Bible describes the last days, really, this is something coming, right? Since it's in chapter 4, he says, in the last days. He's talking about when that's going to happen. When will those last days be? The last days are defined in the scripture from when Jesus ascends into heaven until he comes back and rules on earth. Those are the last days. So we're living in the last days. These are the last days. How last are they? They're pretty close to the last. We're closer than we've ever been before. So it says, in the last days. Now watch this, because it's all been about judgment and destruction. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and the peoples will stream to it. 
Many nations will come and they'll say, come, let's go to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He'll teach us his ways so that we might walk in his paths. The law of the Lord will go from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge many peoples. He will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. We could use that right now. They'll beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Everyone will sit under his own vine. Everyone will sit under his own fig tree. And no one will make them afraid. For the Lord Almighty has spoken. All the nations may walk in the name of their gods, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. In that day, declares the Lord, I'll gather the lame. I'll assemble the exiles that I've brought uh, to grief. I'll make the lame my remnant, those driven away a strong nation. The Lord will rule over them in Mount Zion, which would be Jerusalem, from that day forever. As for you, watchtower of the flock, stronghold of the daughter Zion, the former dominion will be restored to you. Kingship will come to daughter Zion. Well, yeah, and that's quite the contrast. All of a sudden it goes from all of this judgment, and then it goes to this time where it says that nation will will not rise up against nation, that they'll beat their swords into plowshares, that people will be living under their own fig trees and their own vines, and everything's going to be great, and everything's going to be wonderful, and the nations are going to, the nations are going to go to Jerusalem to find out how should we live, how should we rule our nation, what should we do, how should we serve the Lord, how should we, what is going on here? What is happening? And then, watch this. It goes from that, to verse 9, why do you now cry aloud? Have you no king? Has your ruler perished? The pain seizes you like a woman in labor. Writhe in agony, daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor. For now you must leave the city to the camp in the open field. You're going to Babylon. There you'll be rescued. The Lord will redeem you out of the hand of your enemies. But now many nations are gathered against you. And they say, let her be defiled. Let her eyes gloat over Zion. But they don't know the thoughts of the Lord. They don't understand his plan that he's gathered them like sheaves to the threshing floor. Rise and thresh, daughter of Zion, for I'll give you the horns of iron. I'll give you hooves of brass. And you will break to pieces many nations. You will devote their ill-gotten gains to the Lord and their wealth to the Lord of the earth. What's going on there? So there's a progression here, and there's something happening. And so we're going to try to place what's going on here in chapter 3 in the context of the whole of Scripture, the whole of the Bible. And that's why we're going to do this short thing, Israel from Genesis to Revelation. Because the thing that happens here, um, Israel from Genesis to Revelation, um, keep that map in mind. That's Israel. See where that little circle is? You can't even really see it, but that's where, that's where Israel is in the context of the Middle East. And we just read verses 1 through 8, which is what? Chapter 3 had judgment, and now chapter 4 has world peace, and then all of a sudden there's war again. So what's going on? Three chapters of coming judgment, then world peace, universal world peace, and then judgment and war again. So what's going on? 
in verse 3, it says that uh, they will uh, turn their swords into plowshares. Now, what we said before was that this book of, of Micah, Micah begins to prophesy about 700 B.C. And as he's prophesying, Isaiah gets on the prophet bandwagon, and he starts to prophesy. And then Amos, he gets on the prophet bandwagon, and he starts to prophesy. And then Hosea, he gets on the prophet bandwagon, and he starts to prophesy. And so you have four prophets all prophesying the same thing, all prophesying the same thing, that destruction is coming, that we're getting weaker and weaker, our enemies are getting stronger and stronger, and we're ignoring the Lord, and we're living in an unjust way, and we're living in a way where people are being oppressed, and people are being taken advantage of, and nobody notices, and nobody cares, but God notices, and God cares, and he's going to come and judge Israel. And all of these Prophets are prophesying the same thing, 700 B.C., somewhere thereabouts. Well, Isaiah, he says almost the same exact thing as Micah. Isaiah said this, They shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither will they learn war anymore. Well, that's what Micah said. Micah said the same exact thing. Now, these guys saying the same exact thing, did Isaiah get that from Micah? Or did Micah get it from Isaiah? Or did the Lord give it to both of them exactly that way? I think the Lord gave it to both of them exact. You ever have that happen? Something's going on in your life, and, and you find out that God is doing the same exact thing with somebody else or somewhere else, and you know God is speaking to people at the same time. It's kind of interesting that that particular passage they will beat their swords into plowshares. Um, I think it was in 19, was it 1990 that Russia actually minted a coin that had that verse on there. They will beat their swords into plowshares. And that's when they presented a sculpture to the UN. You can go to the UN today and you can see a sculpture that was presented to them by Russia called Swords into Plowshares. And it's a guy pounding a sword, and he's turning it into a plow. Russia did that. I wonder how that's working out for them, that, that uh, swords into, into plowshares thing. I wonder how that's working out for the UN. You know, there's the, there really is the hope and there's the desire for people, isn't there, that, uh, that somehow there would be world peace, that somehow people would stop fighting. It's, it's in the heart of every human, you know, that's why people talk about what's going on in the news. That's why they talk about what's going on with the nations. What's going on? Is that right? Is that wrong? Look at me. What's going on? We long for peace. And Jesus longs to bring peace to the planet. But there is no peace. There is no peace. There's trouble on the planet. You know what the trouble is? I figured it out. The UN should hire me. The trouble is people. Right? The trouble is people. People are the same, and they've been the same forever. And so um, you have that verse, and then you have Isaiah says this. Uh, a lot of people quote this wrong. They say it's the lion and the lamb, but it says that the wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. A little child will lead them. The cow and the bear will graze. The young ones will lie down together. The lion will eat straw with the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. 
Well, um, when does that happen? When, when, is, when is that going to happen? So you talk about world peace, that's one thing, beating your swords into plowshares and not learning war anymore. But what about this one? This is something completely different happening here. There's a whole different rule of nature going on here where the animals are living together. This harkens all the way back to a time in the garden. And it hasn't been that way since. And so it's talking about a future for Israel. Going from chapter 3 into chapter 4, it's talking about a future for Israel unlike anything we've seen. There's a future for Israel that's unlike anything we've seen on the planet. And new forces of nature are in play. And you see this happening here. When's this going to happen? And, it, and, and when will this happen to Israel? Because Isaiah is prophesying to Israel. So here's what we're going to do real quick, and I hope that we can do it. When is this? We're going to do a short timetable of Israel from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, and so we're going to start with, if you have a Bible, we sort of start with Genesis, because everything begins in the beginning, right? In the, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He made people. And when you get to chapter 12, it's there that he calls out a guy named Abraham. I think I might have the picture here. Let's see if I do. Yes, I do. So we're going to start with Abraham. So God creates the heavens and the earth. You get to chapter 12 in Genesis, and you get to this guy named Abraham. But when you get to chapter 12 in this guy named Abraham, there's no Jews and there's no Israel. They don't exist. There's no Jews. There's no place called Israel. And this book here called uh, History Begins at Summa, this has been used as college textbook, high school textbook for Decades and decades and decades. I don't think they use it anymore because it's basically out of print. Somebody just reprinted it recently. But it's like 35 firsts of recorded history. And, and Summa is that Tigris-Euphrates Valley, Mesopotamia, where human history begins. And everybody agreed human history sort of begins there. Well, that's where Abraham was from. And Abraham and his family, according to Joshua, uh, the last chapter of Joshua, they were idol worshipers. They worshiped the sun. They worshiped the moon. They worshiped the stars. They worshiped the created things. Why did they do that? It's not because they were stupid people, but they, they knew that they were living in a creation that somebody had created somehow, some God, some creature, some higher power somewhere had created this. And they knew that they were dependent on the sun. So they worshiped the sun because the sun would bring their crops. They knew that their calendars were regulated by the moon, that there were the phases of the moon. And sometimes if you have a calendar, still you'll see at the bottom the phases of the moon, that, that it regulates our time, it regulates our life. And so they knew that. So they worshiped the sun, they worshiped the moon, they worshiped the stars. You know, the stars seem to be greater than, than them. So he lives in that time. There's no Jews, there's no Israel. And God calls this guy out. Out of the midst of that, God calls him out. Why did he call Abraham? It's just called grace. No reason to call him. Why Abraham? He calls Abraham. It's just grace. And what happens to Abraham is he gives him a new life. Abraham is born again. And when you're born again, you get promises. Did you know that? If you're not born again, get born again. Because when you get born again, you get promises. And so Abraham has this born again life and there are promises. And the promises are this. I don't, think, I don't think I put the promises down. No, I didn't. So the promises are <clears throat> seven of them. 
in chapter 12 of Genesis. So we're starting in the beginning. This is the beginning of Israel. Micah chapter 4, something's going to happen to Israel. They're going to have a strange future where all of the wild animals are getting along together, where all of the peoples are getting along together, where all of the nations are going to get wisdom from Zion, from Jerusalem, from the Jewish people. And so um, Genesis 12, the promises are this. He said, I'll make you a great nation. Is Israel a great nation or not? Of course it's a great nation. Um, we're talking about it right now. It's in the news right now. People are talking about it constantly. If you go to the grocery store and stand there long enough, you'll hear somebody say Israel. So became a great nation. And then God said, I will bless you. And some people would argue, you know, whether they're blessed or not, but God called it blessing. Are they blessed? They're kind of a, ble they're kind of a blessed people, you know. They're less than 1% of the world's population. They have 10% of the world's Nobel Peace Prizes. Something going on with that family. Because it's just a family. <clears throat> it's Abraham's family. The Jewish people are the family of Abraham. And his family are now 1% of the world, so they're a great nation. And they got 10% of the Nobel Peace Prizes. And so... Um, his family, they have the bumper sticker that says, my family has more peace prizes than your family. So <clears throat> just the way it is, the blessed. God told him that his name would be great. Is his name great? Absolutely his name is great because we've already said his name how many times? You think we've said it 15 times already this morning? And his name is great. It's great in Judaism. It's great in Christianity. It's great in Islam. And so all of those, all of those religions trace it back to Abraham and they all use his name. His name is great. And then God told him that he was going to be a blessing, that he was going to be a blessing. And then this is the one that I take to heart. I'm really careful to not do, to do one and to not do the other one here. He said, I'll bless those who bless you and I'll curse those who curse you. So I'm always cautious about the second one because I don't want God cursing me. And then he said to him, all of the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. All of the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. Well, how is that going to happen? Through the Nobel Peace Prizes and all of the creations and all of the things that they've contributed to the planet? Or is it going to be because through Abraham's family tree, Jesus the Messiah is going to come? That's the blessing. The blessing is that Jesus the Messiah is going to come through that family tree. Now, what we need to know about this family is that it's really not any different than any other family. Families are basically, I don't want to say this about your family, but somewhere in all of our families, there's dysfunction. It's just not working right. And, and this is a family, and somewhere in this family, there's dysfunction. There's stuff that's just not working right. I have a pastoral assumption. When I stand up and talk in front of people and teach the Bible, I have an assumption, like, who am I talking to? What's going on? And my pastoral assumption is that every family has trouble and every heart has pain. Every family has trouble. Every heart has pain. And so the same with this family. Even though God called them for a purpose so that Jesus the Messiah would come through their, their family tree, they have trouble. They have a lot of trouble. They haven't always done what's right. So um, God promises this guy that he's going to give him a son. He's going to give him a son. And so um, what happens here is he does get a son. Um, <clears throat> his wife is old, and God promises both of them they're going to have a child. 
And it's going to be the child of promise that all of the world is going to be blessed through this child. So she's old. He's old. Um, he considered his wife barren, although God didn't consider her barren. God promised a son through her. And so they had a girl living in the house. Her name was Hagar. She was an Egyptian. She was the housekeeper. And Abraham's wife, um, she just thought, I can't give Abraham a child. God said he would have a child, but I can't give him a child. And she was thinking, well, you know, how can we do this? And she said to Abraham, have you ever thought about sleeping with the housekeeper? And Abraham was like, um, how do I answer this? Is, this? is this a trick question or, you know, what's going on here? And he said, no, 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 I never had. Why? And she said, well, I think you should sleep with the housekeeper and you should have a child through her. And then what will happen is we'll raise that child in this house. And that will be the child of promise. God has promised you a child. Abraham complied. He did what his wife told him to do. Big mistake. Big mistake. God had promised a son through Sarai and Abraham, not through the housekeeper. And they, they attempted to bring into the world the son that God had promised to them as a husband and wife. And they attempted to do, do, do it themselves. Be careful when you try to attempt to do God's work yourself. And so the son is born to the Egyptian housekeeper, and he was named Ishmael. In, in Torah.com, they call him the king of the Arabs, the king of the Arabs. God promised Hagar because Abraham had a child through Hagar. God told Hagar and told Abraham that that kid's going to be a great nation as well. That kid's going to be a great nation. Ishmael is his name. And you can read about it in Genesis 21. We're making our way through the Bible. Israel through the whole Bible, getting to Micah chapter 4 and what's going on there and what's going on with Israel in Micah chapter 4. So God tells Ishmael he's going to be a great nation. And Ishmael has some sons. Anybody want to guess how many sons he had? Is anybody in 12? Who said 12? He had 12 sons. He had 12 sons. So Abraham, when the nation is born, it's born to how many sons? 12. 12. They both have 12. They both have 12 sons. And Ishmael is a great nation. His sons settled in that area that sort of tan the brown. That's where they settled. And it tells us in Genesis 25 that that's where they settled, from Havilah to Shur. That's their territory. That's where the sons of Ishmael settled. And the sons of Ishmael are still there. They're still there. And, and Muhammad, in the Quran, he claimed to be a descendant of Ishmael. And many Arabian Muslims today claim to be the same, that they are the descendants of Ishmael. And these two brothers had trouble. You see, when, when the other son was born, when the son of promise, what's the son of promise? What's his name? Isaac. When Isaac, the son of promise, is born, then all of a sudden, Sarai, mom, who said, sleep with the housekeeper, she's like, I don't like this other kid in the house. I don't like him. He's not the son. He's not the son. He's not my son. Get rid of him. Abraham gets rid of him. But God told Abraham, God told Hagar, that that boy is going to grow into a great nation. He's going to have 12 sons. 
he's going to be a king and have a kingdom himself. And so there's been friction in that family ever since. And some of us have situations similar to in our families, right? Where we have blended families and, you know, one from here and one from there. And there's this trouble and, and sometimes there's no trouble and sometimes there's a lot of trouble and sometimes it flares up and sometimes it goes down. These boys have been fighting for 4,000 years. And so what happens? We're continuing to move through um, the book of Genesis. This family grows to 70 people grows to 70 people, and uh, they, they experience a famine, and because of the famine, the family of 70 moves down to Egypt, and they stay in Egypt. Now, their intent is that they're going to go down to Egypt, and when the famine's over, they're going to come back, and many of us have experienced similar things to this, right, where somebody says, you know what, I'm going to go to Texas, I'm going to work there for 10 years, and then I'm going to come back, and I'm going to build the farm that I said I'm going to build for everybody, and then you just go to Texas and you stay there for generation after generation after generation. So these guys land in Egypt and they stay there. And they're actually there for 400 years. And in, the, in between here, one of, uh, one of the grandsons, Jacob, he wrestles with an angel and God changes his name to Israel. So you have Ishmael and you have Israel. And the family name sticks until today, Israel. So what happens next? This family, moving up to Micah chapter 4, this family goes down into Egypt. They stay there for 400 years, and they become slaves. They become slaves in Egypt. And so they come out of Egypt around 1500 B.C. Remember we started 2000 B.C.? Now here we are, 500 years later. They come out of slavery by the blood of the lamb. They slay an innocent lamb. The innocent lamb dies for the guilty. And when, when they take that blood and they put it on their door for them and, the, and their household and whoever else they want to invite in, that when the avenging angel comes over, he pa- passes over them. He passes over them because he sees the blood. He said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And so they come out by the blood of the lamb. And when they come out by the blood of the lamb, what happens? God gives them promises because they're born again. They're starting all over again. It says it's going to be the first day of the first month of their year. They're going to start. (coughs) Excuse me. They're going to start all over again. They're going to be born again. And when you're born again, there are promises. So what promises do they get? They get the promise that they're going back into the land and they are going to inherit the promised land. So moving right along, um, what happens now? You move along, you get into, you get uh, past the book of Exodus, you get into Joshua, you get into Judges, and they are living in the land, the land that God had promised. Because what did we say? God don't make promises he don't keep. So he promised them they were going into the land. So where are they? They're in the land. And and while they're in the land, who's their king? They have no king. God is their king. It's called a theocracy. Keith alluded to that last week. That God is their king. It's a theocracy. 
God rules over them, and it's only God who rules over them for 400 years. I like that. That's longer than how long our nation has been around. Could you imagine that in the whole history of our nation, we had no president, we had no governor, we had no Congress, we had no representative, we just had God for the last 250 years, 280 years. So they were living in the land, 400 years, only God is their king. But with only God with their king, remember they're a family, right? They're big family now, millions of them. But they're a family, and all families have some dysfunction, right? They're not always doing everything right. And as they're not always doing everything right, they get in trouble, and sometimes they're conquered, and sometimes things happen. And then God raises somebody up that will deliver them, and then they are free, and then they go back to doing the same thing over and over again. So right around that, right around that time, you move on, and you move through your Bible, and you start to get to 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. We're moving through this family of Abraham, and what happens there is that they want to be like everybody else. They want to be like all of the nations around them because they think all of the nations around them have it so good. But they're deceived. All of the nations around them do not have it so good. What they've been doing is they've been scrolling through Facebook and Instagram and TikTok too much, looking at all of these families and saying, look at those functional families. Well, in order to get... In order to get the picture of the functional family on Thanksgiving, we had to take 36 pictures, and then we had to crop them, and then we had to Photoshop them, and then you look at that perfect family, and you go, oh, look at that perfect family on Thanksgiving. I wish our family could be like them. Why can't our family be like them? Because their family's not like that. That's why. And they wanted to be like all of the other nations, and so they asked for a king. And God said, you don't want a king. You don't want a king. They said, we do. He said, look, you don't want a king. Because if you, if you get a king, what he's going to do is he's going to travel in a vehicle, in an armored vehicle, and he's going to have people running alongside of that armored vehicle. And some of them are going to run in front of the armored vehicle and put their hand on the hood, and they're going to run down the street, and, you're, and he's going to come in, and he's going to make a big deal out of himself And then after he makes a big deal out of himself, he's going to live a really high lifestyle and he's going to end up taxing you like crazy, taxes you've never paid before. And they were like, we want a king. And God said, I give you a king. And he gave him the king. Anybody know the name of the king that he gave to him? King Saul. Gave him King Saul. Well, he didn't work out so good. Israel asks for a king, gets a bad one, and then God gives them King David, who becomes Israel's favorite king ever. He is God's, he is the people's favorite king ever. And so that brings you into this story of the Chronicles and the Kings. And we're following this family and following what God is doing with this family, but they keep messing up. And so Solomon, what happens with Solomon, uh, I love Solomon in that he now becomes the king. This is the son of David. He becomes the king and he doesn't know what to do. And God said, well, what do you want? And he said, I need wisdom. I need wisdom to rule this great people. And God said, because you didn't ask for riches, because you didn't ask for power, I'm going to give you wisdom and you're going to get riches and power as well. And so he becomes what they say was the wisest man ever and maybe the richest man that that ever lived. He becomes the king. And it was a wonderful time to live in Israel. 
It was one of their highlighted times, living under King David, living under Solomon. Solomon is going, Solomon dies, and then people are fighting for who's going to, who's going to win the next election? Who are we going to get? And everybody's lobbying for this guy, you know, Rehoboam, Jeroboam, you know, lobbying on this side, lobbying on that side, trying, well, what do we do? How are we going to do this? Who's going to be the king? Who are we going to have? And, and how are we going to rule this thing? And all the old guys, the wisdom that the old guys gave, they said, listen, here's what you need to do. You got a new administration coming in. So if I were you, what I would do is I would lower the taxes. I would, give, I would give the people some of their money back. I would let them live in peace. I would let them live in prosperity. I would, I would have them enjoying the land and enjoying their lives. But all the young guys, they were like power crazy. And they were like, no, let's like tax those guys harder. Let's make it difficult for them. Let's tax them and take it to ourselves. And, and, who, and who wins out? Well, there's a civil war. There's a civil war. And the country divides. Abraham's family. You see, it had already, there's already division in his family because there's, there's discord between Ishmael and Israel. There's trouble there. And then there's the other son that's born later on, you know, Jacob and Esau. Esau ends up, if we looked at that map, he ends up inhabiting the, the territory called Jordan, which is also in that tan spot. So you have that division in the family. And now you have the family dividing. You have the nation dividing. And it's called Israel in the north, and it's called Judah in the south. Divided. Civil war follows. And so, um, so what happens then? Civil war, the nation divides in two. Israel with Samaria as the capital in the north. Judah with, the, with uh, Jerusalem as the, as the capital in the south. And now we're starting to get closer again to Micah chapters 1 through 3 and chapters 4. So what happens next? Assyria conquers Israel, conquers the northern kingdom. They conquer it. And so they destroy it. It's messed up. The thing has fallen apart. But Jerusalem and Judah, they, you know, they're still doing pretty good. Well, Babylon comes and starts to exile them. And once they're exiled into Babylon, what happens? Jeremiah said they'd be there 70 years. They were there 70 years. Israel returns back to the land from Babylonian exile. They come back to the land. But when they come back, they're broken. When they come back, they're broken. And this is why you want to live a righteous life. This is why you want to live for God. Because it is true that he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He'll always be with you. That there's nothing you can do that's going to make him love you more. Nothing that you can do that's going to make him love you less. You know, he loves, he already loves you with a perfect love. But if you go out and mess up your life, sometimes it's really hard to get it back. Sometimes it's really, really hard to get it back. Does he accept you? Absolutely. He's like, come home, come home. But you got all this baggage. You got all this baggage. Maybe you got, maybe you got some kids in a couple of places. Maybe you got some bills in a couple of places. Maybe you got a lot of people that don't trust you. Maybe you got brokenness in your own mind and in your own heart and in your own soul. And, in your, and man, sometimes it's just hard to get back. Doesn't mean you're not home. It's just not like it was before. And so when they come back, it never really gets to be like it was before. In fact, they build a temple. And when they build the temple, 
It says that when they built the temple, all the old guys were crying. They were like, man, that ain't no temple. What is that thing? And all of the young guys were like, yes, we have a temple. And the old guys were like, man, like, you just don't know what we had. You have no idea what we had. This, this is nothing compared to that. And so they live that way. They lived that way for 500 years until Jesus comes on the scene. So now we've, we've moved right past Micah. We're going to come back to Micah. But, um, but now we're in the New Testament. Jesus comes on the scene and he divides history right down the middle. Talk about, talk about new starts. Talk about born again. This guy zeroes everything out. He zeroes everything out. They had to start all over. Let's start all over completely. Start all over. Divides history right down the middle. And then what happens to Jesus? The death, the crucifixion, the resurrection of Jesus in 33 AD. And then just another month or so later, the day of Pentecost, the Jesus movement begins, the church is born. It's a Jewish savior, Jewish disciples, Jewish converts. It's all Jewish. It's all Jewish. It's a a Jewish movement that now have Jesus as the Messiah. Well, something else happens to this family of Abraham. They don't like to be ruled over. And over the last 500 years, they've been ruled over by Persia. They've been ruled over by Greece. They've been ruled over by Rome. They rebel against Rome. In the year 70, it's their final rebellion against Rome. Rome is ruling over them. And and Rome surrounds Jerusalem. Rome, the way that Rome would fight their battles, Rome liked to be... Uh, like steel. And so they were like, we're not going to waste any guys in this battle in Jerusalem. Let's just surround it and starve them out. And so the Rome just surrounded them, built encampments, sat out there, sat around the fire, doing whatever. I know what they roasting marshmallows and talking about people dying inside the city, I guess. Just surrounded it. And it was getting so bad, Josephus talks about this in his book, The Jewish Wars, he started the whole thing. He, he said that people were dying in the city and they would take people on the city wall and they would drop them outside of the city wall, the dead people. And the Romans would go over and they'd get the dead people. They had these catapults. And they'd put the people on them and just throw them back into the city. Well, the whole thing came tumbling down exactly like Jesus said in Matthew 24. Not one stone was left upon another. And this family of Abraham has trouble again. They have trouble again, and they're scattered all over the planet, all over the planet for 2,000 years, and somehow they stuck together. How did they stick together? Well, one of the reasons that they stuck together is because they were a little odd. They are a little different than everybody else. Um, they, they, kept, they kept the Sabbath every Saturday. They stuck together. They, they lived by the law of Moses even when they were scattered everywhere. 2,000 years they've been scattered, 2,000 years. And uh, they've had a rough lot, for sure. I mean, they've been troubled everywhere that they've gone over over the planet for the last 2,000 years. But there were prophecies about the scattering of Israel that happened in the year 70. There were prophecies about them being regathered. And there were prophecies about that nation being born again, because God likes to do things born again. And so the nation is born again. We We can't look at all of those passages. But there's dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of them that talk about this that they'd be scattered all over the planet, God would bring them back, the nation would be born again. Well, they had big tragedy in the 20th century, 
the mass destruction of millions of people, including six million Jews in Nazi Germany during the 30s and the 40s, and they had had it. They wanted a homeland. Britain owned what was called Israel, Palestine. Britain owned it. Britain and, Britain and the League of Nations ended up giving them the territory. 1948, they're born again. They're born again. And ever since 1948, um, when they were born again, there have been skirmishes. There have been disputes. As Ishmael and Israel have continued to fight the fight that's gone on for 4,000 years. Sometimes just skirmishes, sometimes peace, sometimes getting along, sometimes getting along for long periods of time. But the skirmishes continue. The skirmishes continue until this morning. The skirmishes are still going on. And they're still fighting over the same thing. What are they, what's, what are they fighting? They're fighting about land. Whose land is it? It's my land. No, it's, your, it's my land. No, it's mine. Been trouble for a long time. Trouble for a long time. But back to Micah in Isaiah. Lots of wars, lots of skirmishes. You see, there's, there's Ishmael, Ishmael and Esau. There they are, and there's, there's little Israel, still fighting, still having these skirmishes 4,000 years later. And see what it says in parentheses? And they've pulled many others into this fight that they have. Pulled all kinds of people into it. People who wanted to be into it, people who didn't want to be into it. If you really want to read about who did not want to be into it, read about Britain during that period, who they were the ones who actually had the land and divided it up, and they just did not want any part of it at all. But then Isaiah said, the wolf will also dwell with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the young goat and the calf and the young lion and the fatling. When is this going to happen? You have to jump all the way forward because we're going Genesis to Revelation. You have to go all the way forward until you get to Revelation chapter 20. And what it says in Revelation chapter 20 is that God has made a lot of promises to Israel, but they're not all fulfilled. They're not all fulfilled. And so when Jesus comes, Jesus will come back to rule on earth and he will rule from Jerusalem for 1,000 years is what it says in Revelation chapter 20. You get to the end of the book and he's going to rule out of Zion and he's going to rule with these people and, he's, and all of the promises that were made to Israel will be fulfilled. All of those things that are talked about in Micah chapter 4. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established. Jerusalem as the highest of mountains. It will be exalted over all the hills and all the peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He'll teach us his ways so that we can walk in his paths. The law will go from Zion. It will be enforced righteousness. The word of the Lord from Jerusalem, Jesus at the head. He'll judge between many people. He'll settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. And Russia will be included in turning their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. And nation will not take sword up against nation. That word is, again, ethnos, group against group. 
nor will they train for war anymore. And everyone will sit under his own vine, under his own fig tree, and no one will be afraid. The Lord Almighty has spoken this. But then you get back to verse 9, and what happens? We're not there yet. Jumps back again. This is what it's going to be like for these people, but it's not like that now. Right now, still living in disobedience, still living in blindness, still living in rejection of the Savior, still turning away from God, still just like Jacob. Just like Jacob, still wrestling with God. Still wrestling with God. So um, some of us are still wrestling with God. Give in. Give in. But the day is coming because God don't make promises he don't keep. And he made promises to Israel and he's going to keep those promises. And those promises will happen on earth. And if you're a believer, you'll be reigning with him. You'll see it. You'll see that millennial happen. Um, the millennial is known as this 1,000 year reign of Christ after the uh, tribulation, before the great white throne judgment of the wicked. And during that, Jesus will reign as king over Israel and over all of the nations of the world. They'll live in peace. Satan will be bound. Uh, at the beginning, everyone will worship God. And the purpose is to, what's the purpose of it? To fulfill the various promises that God made to Israel and to the world. It's going to happen. God doesn't make promises. God don't make promises. He don't keep.